welcome FAU and FIU fans on uh, host bowl game. Uh, we got lucky FAU and FIU were able to play bowl games on the same day. So it gives us kind of the opportunity to talk about both. Uh, obviously, two very different days uh, for the program. And I think almost kind of uh, yesterday kind of was each team season wrapped up uh, in one uh you know, we'll start with, you know, FAU here and kind of shockingly, I was completely wrong, uh, you know, after everything FAU went through this week to come up with a huge victory yesterday and FIU, you know, played in a hard fought kind of back and forth game uh, with a good Arkansas State team, but kind of just came up just short in the end with kind of just some similar inconsistencies they've had all year. Uh you know, but you know, we'll break those down to maybe get into a little bit of kind of season aftermath. Where do they go from here? We don't have David on today um, to kind of feel the pulse of what FIU fans might be thinking going into next year. Uh, but we'll definitely talk about that with uh, Eric, and you know, obviously Jake and I will have some input on that as well. Um, but like I said, uh, man, I, I just said it just before we hit record. I. I most impressive win in FAU school history when you consider uh, what they did yesterday to a 10-win SMU team winning 52-28. And if you watch the game, it was not even close as 52-28. SMU put a couple garbage time touchdowns at the end, but FAU straight worked them physically. Uh, and, and on the offensive side of the ball, missing. I mean, there was walk-ons at receiver. I mean, they were playing backups and walk-ons across the board at receiver, and they just found a way to throw for over 300 yards. It was – I was watching the game mostly just in – not even like from an enjoyment. I think I'm enjoying it more this morning than was at the game yesterday. Yesterday I was just in shock. Jake, I mean, kind of how did you feel kind of watching it all unravel? I thought for a while that FAU's victory in Western two years ago was the most impressive win since I started covering the team in 2016. And then I thought, okay, maybe when they beat Western earlier this year after going down 14-0, maybe that was a bit more impressive just because of how good Western was at the time. Last night, I think really might be the most impressive win in program history, everything we can say. I'm sure some of the old heads might bring up some some game from 2003 or 2007, maybe. All I know is down 11 players because of academic issues. Malcolm Davidson's been banged up. Harrison Bryant is sick. The dog that's barking in the background is weighing in as well. FAU not only beat SMU, which was ranked 26th, so on the outside looking in, but barely on the AP polls, they manhandled them. And it was so exciting and just kind of a – it was this season, like you said, wrapped up, where FAU band of brothers. Guys are down. Guys aren't playing. Other guys step up. Pico Harrison, his grades were low. Brandon Robinson, aside from the fumble, has a great game. The running backs are banged up. James Charles scores two touchdowns. This is the type of game – that is why I'm going to keep saying FAU, is, so long as everything goes as planned next year in terms of health and eligibility, they should run Conference USA for the next few years. 
Yeah, I'm just going to really quickly piggyback up off of where Jake said here. And for those of you listening, I apologize if my audio quality isn't the best. I'm driving on I-10, heading in the middle of nowhere, Alabama, trying to get back to the civilization. So yeah, I got, yeah, guys, uh, guys. Unlike FAU, FIU actually gets to travel for their bowl game. <laughs> well, you know, I really quick. Um, I'm pretty sure FAU fans would gladly rather be in Boca. Then, uh, no disrespect to Montgomery, so because Montgomery was a great host, but to get there, uh, not quite the uh, the most scenic place in the world. But anyhow, I digress. Uh, just really quick, quickly pick up off where Jake's point is, and I said this to both Shane and Jake before we started the podcast, and I really felt that this win, in specificity, it puts a lot of pressure, um, even more pressure than we kind of anticipated, on Willie Taggart, just because of, you know. You can't cry or spill milk. We'll never know how close Glenn Spencer was or wasn't to getting this job. But you could tell that those players really cared about him. And the fact that, and Jake said it, and I'm sure Shane will touch on it as well, the factors that they faced heading into this game, the suspensions and guys being ineligible, a couple guys not playing, and how resoundingly well they played against a quote-unquote, maybe not superior opponent, but uh, I'm pretty sure we're all in agreement that the AAC is probably a superior league, and they played really well against a real uh, a solid SMU team that you know would have uh, uh, had their best year in years. You know, probably since right. the Tony Express days. I, I just think that says leaps and bounds about Glenn Spencer and Uh Yeah, I, I think one thing we for kind of forgot about uh, with FAU, and despite all the adversity going into this game, is just kind of the individual pride with players. I tweeted out that you guys know I love like def- watching defensive football at DBs and stuff like that. There's so much pride in that position. I think with like James Pierre and Chris Tooley yesterday and FAU secondary, kind of hearing the noise all week. I know there was a tweet uh, where Prochet, SMU's receiver, uh, who really didn't do much until garbage time yesterday, said during the week at one of the bowl events that, you know, tell me who has the higher-ranked offense at, like, some press conference where both teams were at. And I think if Jake and I were on the field and out there with James Pierre, like, he wouldn't have cared. Like, he was going into that game with the same attitude and the same – and I think the rest of the team kind of had that – you know, disrespect underdog type feeling to that yesterday. And man, they just, they played one of the best defensive games we've seen all year. I mean, like I said, the 28 points was two touchdowns was pure garbage time. And before that was just both their other drives. uh, One was off a turnover and one came off a trick play. I mean, FAU's defense was so dominating and just, again, the stars came to play. I mean, how many times can we just talk about Rashad Smith being Johnny on the spot? When there's a football in the air on the ground, it, number seven seems to always come up with it. Well, seems to always come up with it because, unfortunately, for FAU fans, or I guess fortunately, I mean, what a way for him to go out. What a way for some of these older guys, Brandon Walton, Junior Diaz, Chris Tooley, even James Pierre last night was his last game, depending on what he wants to do. What a way for them to go out at home. And I, I know that I've complained about FAU being at home again, but maybe maybe this was for the best, that they got to go out like this, that they got to be home with all the drama going on, and they got to win on their home field. Yeah. Eric, I, I have a question kind of to you. 
and I just I was just going through some when you're at the game. Obviously, it's hard to catch up and kind of see some of the reaction. Kind of nationally speaking, within the G five and the AAC, and especially after FU had a tough loss to UCF earlier in the year, where they just did not play a great football game. What kind of national statement did this kind of make? You know, it, it seemed like a lot of people were like, "Whoa!" Yesterday. It's funny you say that, Shane, right? Because I think there's two ways to go about that. I think the win itself definitely made a national statement. And, of course, when your head coach was Lane Kiffin, people are going to look to see what your team does with him no longer being there. And I think, especially with the hire of Willie Taggart, that it brought a little bit of national attention to the fact, all right, FAU, they're playing without Kiffin, and they're in the, the in, in between time between Taggart. Let's see what happens. But this is where I want to throw this back at you guys. Does FAU, do they take the quote-unquote UCF perspective, which is, all right, they can't go claiming national championships and anything like that, but, and it's the reason why I liked your tweet on Twitter when you tweeted it earlier today, Shane, about, you know, the, the transitive property of, all right, can FAU claim national champs, right? Obviously, they can't. I mean, that's being hyperbolic. But I think FAU can make a lot of noise about the fact that they had a hell of a year. And that goes to show that that's with Lincoln Kiffin or without Lincoln. Yeah, yeah yesterday, I, think that's I think that's 100% accurate. Yeah, yesterday was just a product of recruiting and athletic ability and, you know, kind of transitioning. Well, I don't want to transition this too much, but I'm. It, this puts – a little bit of pressure. We'll talk about this next year. To me, the expectations are high. They got to be about the, I, it's really hard to expect this type of level year in and year out. It's, it's almost impossible to ins- expect it, but man, like Jake said, expectations are high. I mean, they have to maintain this to a certain degree. I mean, they yeah. dominated the conference USA this year. I mean, I think, Outside of the one Marshall game, they beat everyone by double digits. Uh, most games over 20 points. And just to do this yesterday is just, it's a statement. And, you know, it, there's some pressure going into next year to see how that kind of falls. Yeah, I mean, the expectations got raised because now, like I said, there are no excuses next year, even with all the guys you're losing. If there is an injury next year, FAU has already established, hey, Malcolm Davidson's hurt. We've got other running backs who can step up. Kiki Leroy's out. All right, Caleb Bryce and Jose Barnwell are going to play their asses off. So now, new coaching staff, some new players, whatever. That culture has to be the same, where it doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter what you throw at FAU. They will find ways to win. I mean, we saw kind of a hint of it against Ohio State. B.J. Emmons broke his ankle, and heartbreaking thing, especially given what he went through. And FAU, from the time that he got hurt and you know he came back out onto the field in the boot, FAU outplayed Ohio State. And Larry McCammon and James Charles, they didn't have great days, but you could see they were grinding for extra yards. So that's been this team all year. You throw adversity at this team, they will fight it. And that has to be what Willie Taggart and his staff make sure is the theme and the culture next year. They can't get back to 2018 where 
things happen, okay, so be it. They can't get back to, oh, we're off 13-3 in the second half. Okay, we're going to get distracted. It needs to be fight on, pull away, win and blow out fashion. And I was about to say a phrase that would probably get me in trouble. Raise a certain certain finger to the world, and that's what it was last night. Well, I I have a question for both of you guys really quick, because I don't want to be conspiracy theory guy, but I think at least just state the obvious here. Those guys in the locker room had a hell of a lot of respect for Glenn Spencer. A, what does Willie Taggart need to do to earn the respect of the guys in in that locker room? And then B, as someone who, you know, covers an FIU program who, quite frankly, if you look at the Marshall loss from last year, from 2018, it not only cost them a division title last year, it cost them a lot of games this year, or just a lot of turmoil this year, and that players are openly talking about having a hard time moving past that game and the fact that they should have won it last year. Can, do you think there's an issue where maybe it takes guys a little while longer than it should to warm up to the idea that, hey, Glenn Spencer's not walking through that door anymore, and he's right the road in Tampa. And this is for both you and, uh, and Jake and Shane. I don't. Eric, I don't, because I think that you still have a lot of smart veteran guys coming back. Exactly. It's the, whole, it's the whole band of brothers thing. It's, if you have a guy who in spring ball maybe isn't giving it his all because he has a new position coach, because Glenn's not here anymore, Charlie White's not be here anymore, we're seeing that he's linked to the USF OC job too, those guys are going to outright say, pick it up. And that was a problem last year where it seemed like guys were getting away with not giving it, and I know it's a cliche, not giving it 100%, taking it easy in practice. And it's not about you have to do the most grueling workouts in practice to be a good team, to be a focused team. It's about you need to be practicing your ass off and making sure that you're learning the playbook, that you're giving it your all, that you're embracing the idea of competition. And we saw it this year with Glenn Spencer, and you saw some guys who were maybe – buried the last couple of years or hadn't played as much as they wanted to really step up and take big roles on this team. I, I think Willie Taggart and, you know, the, a lot of people are saying that Jim Levitt will come in to replace Glenn Spencer. And real quick, I want to just kind of diffuse this and I don't know what happens, but I just see a lot on Twitter that Taggart, you know, people always assume that Taggart didn't want Spencer a lot of these things, it could have been mutual. You know, everyone just assumes that, you know, it's one way. But, you know, maybe really, maybe um, Glenn Spencer just said, you know, it's better for me to move on. Thank you, but no thanks. I'm totally speculating. But, again, it's a lot of times people will, if there's something wrong next year, people will criticize and be like, oh, we should have hung on to Spencer. Maybe we tried. We don't know what happened. So I just wanted to dispel that. But. Taggart and Jim Levitt kind of have a history. I mean, I, I know there is, but some with Jim Levitt, and you know, I don't want to get too deep into his past here. But you know, a lot of players have liked him at other stops, um, and the same thing with Willie Taggart. So I, I don't think it's like we're bringing in a coach that you know that's had a history of not you know building great relationships with his players. But the biggest thing is win quickly. Right, you know, winning kind of solves it all. Once players see that what you're being taught uh, is working, you buy that in quickly. And we saw that with Glenn Spencer; he was only here a year, so you know these guys just this spring uh, didn't know him from anyone else, and he earned respect because uh, 
you know, kind of from the UCF game on, you started seeing the teachings really take place. And the doll, I mean, every week, FU's defense got better. So, you know, I, I winning and success always kind of creates that uh, respect early on. But I agree with Jake. FAU still has a lot of veteran defensive players uh, that will kind of keep that. And, you know, a good coach like Willie Taggart probably knows that and, you know, lets those vet guys have power and take control um, and, you know, handle a lot of things and keep that leadership going. I think it's the same thing on offense, too, for what it's worth. Even if you're losing guys like Harrison Bryant and Junior Diaz, you have B.J. Emmons coming back. I know there's a lot of young guys that look up to him and really like him, partly because he's a hell of a player, and partly just because he's not a very loud guy, but he kind of commands the room. There's a couple guys in the line that I think can transition to those leaders. And Desmond Noel, who I heard great things about in terms of how he interacted with guys, can he step up and take a bigger leadership role? Yeah, so I mean, we'll we'll see. Um, obviously, we'll provide some great insight. Uh, just real quick, it looks like you know it's been reported. Spencer's definitely going to USF, uh, and so you know it was reported that Charlie Weiss is close to a deal there too. Uh, and then if Taggart and and uh, Levitt joins Taggart at FAU, that FAU USF game has quite a few storylines going into it next year. Really interesting game for the state of Florida. Uh, but and you know, to kind of tra- Shane, is, is that game a Tampa or a Boca? Boca. Boca. Yeah. Speaking oh, okay. of Boca, I have, I, speaking of Boca, I have one last quick thing. So Shane mentioned the James Crochet comment, which is tell me who has the higher ranked offense. This is from Desmond Noel, who's FAU starting left guard. Just to let at SMU football know this moment is what really made us ready to destroy y'all. That's yeah. great. A lot that of pride awesome. with FAU. Uh, so to kind of, you know, I said when we opened the podcast that each game was kind of indicative of the season. I, I watched this the full second half of the FIU game yesterday and saw it seemed like they were going to make a comeback there for a second. And then the game just kind of got away with them with a couple turnovers. I mean, Arkansas State's, oh, like I said a couple weeks ago, they've been a, a, a model kind of G5 Sunbelt program. But man, it just seemed like FA, FIU just couldn't grasp it and win when they needed to and make the plays there at the end. Yeah, Shane, when you talk about this game being really a microcosm of the season, it really was, but almost in a different sense that, this one wasn't, you know, after the FAU game, Bush Davis talked about the story of the year being miscues and unforced turnovers or unforced errors and things of that nature. This one, yeah, there were some turnovers in the second half, but that was really, I mean, if you look at the picks, you know, the last one, that's James trying to make a play there at the end. This one was really about discipline, and Bush Davis, he said in his post game that, hey, um, he was really emotional about this senior class, and this is really his first group of seniors that he's been around more than they've been around the prior staff, but, and I think here's the strong money quote here, he said, there's going to be a whole hell of a lot of changes next year in terms of, you know, us being a, a disciplined team, because, I, you know, I'm not going to accept this kind of undiscipline next year, and when you look at that, he's not talking about penalties. This team wasn't a highly penalized team, Bush Davis teams aren't usually that. What he's talking about is the thing that, quite frankly, for an FIU fan, you got to be upset about, because Players from the start of the year said, we got to be disciplined. we got to play discipline. we got to play technique. And 
They weren't able to do that on a consistent basis. You see, they do it against Miami, but they aren't able to do it for four quarters against Arkansas State or Marshall, and they certainly struggled against, you know, the better teams against the, uh, the better teams on their schedule earlier in the year. So when you look at this game, you know, yes, <clears throat> excuse me, Jose Borregas misses a kick, but it shouldn't even come down to that. You know, you look at uh, there was a play on third down where they had Arkansas State quarterback Lane Hatcher sacked in the backfield. He gets away. You know, um, a first half where they couldn't execute in the red zone. They had to show up for three instead of seven. Just a lot of – just a slow start that, you know, they let Arkansas State get up to a 14-0 lead. And give the defense credit, Lane Hatcher went 14-35 passing in the first half. So for all of the vaunted Arkansas State passing attack, they did a solid job in the first half. It just was a matter of not being able to play four quarters of consistent football if we discipline all the way around. And that really cost them. And, you know, hey, now – Go into the offseason, you look at a six and seven year, and for all of the, you know, Hucklub or the uh, excitement about the UM game, 0 oh 2 since the UM win. And what I've seen on Twitter from a lot of FIU fans is, well, we beat UCG. We beat UCG. With no disrespect to the FIU fans, are you going to be the program that, you know, is like a USF and it's still talking about being ranked number two in the nation in 2006, 15 years later? Or are you going to be a program that's more concerned about, you know, taking the next step? And yes, we beat Miami, but the expectation is that we have some talent to beat Miami and then we can do more than that. Yeah, I've seen some of that as well. And I was kind of getting into it with some of the, the friends we have in the Section 112. And it's and I I hate UM and I enjoyed every minute of you guys beating UM. And I enjoy every minute of you guys trolling UM fans. I do. But if... There is an element of like, okay, it's a nice win. And you kind of see, I think it's a good dynamic. You said what USF, you know, uh, USF fans for a while, USF had that control of that war on I-4. And you see them bring that up all the time. And at this point, when they're comparing themselves to UCF, it, it's kind of sad, right? And would you still, if you're still, if FIU is mediocre next year uh, and FAU's continuing to win, Man, talking about a win against UM, it, it starts to become like, okay, man, let's now what? You know, uh, it, it gets old quick. It college football is a very what have you done for me lately sport. So, you know, there's Butch Davis made the statement, and but the FIU needs a big season next year. You know, uh, and it's going to be difficult because. Yeah, they could fix a lot of things, but and this is something we could get to. We'll obviously, we'll be talking about for months and months on end at nauseum in the offseason, but quarterback. Who's going to play quarterback for FIU next year? I mean, at the very least, they're going to go with someone who's at most made a couple starts. So, right. That puts a, yeah, so, you know, Morgan probably, he's a good quarterback. The guy's going to be on an NFL camp in a few months. So, you know, even if you get a quarterback who's 75% of what Morgan is, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on the other positions to make great improvement next year. Uh, and, Eric, you know, we'll, Eric, I, Eric oh, oh. oh, no, you go, Jake. No, Eric, I know this is a total hot take question since the start of the 2020 season is, oh my God, it's almost uh, nine months away, but. How many wins do you think FIU needs next year? So long as everything goes as planned, health-wise, eligibility-wise, everybody that should be there when you open the season next year will be there. 
How many wins do you think FIU needs for the year to be considered a success? Is it seven just to get back to a winning season, or is it more? I'm going to answer the question and give you a number, but I'm going to give you a reason behind it. And I think Shane okay. brings a great point when he talks about losing James Morgan. And I think people really underestimated just how talented James was uh, as a quarterback and someone who stabilized that offense. But let's go down the roster, right? You lose Anthony Jones and Napoleon Maxwell, but you have a talented guy like Malik Williams. You have talented guys like Flex Joseph, uh, Sean Peterson Jr. You go to the receiver spot. J.J. Holdman, uh, this is a guy who I've talked about who I think, for FIU fans who are depressed watching Omar Bayless just take over the game, FIU has a guy next year who will be able to do that. Tight end spot, you got Sterling Palmer. Offensive line, you have some guys coming back. You have at least three stars coming back. Defensive line, you got uh, Whitaker and Baptiste, and then you got Oliver and, and, uh, and Noah Curtis. At the middle linebacker spot, I know Sage Lewis, everybody loves Sage Lewis and what he meant for this program. You got Tyson Bay, who was one of the top linebackers at Boise State in the Mountain West. So, to run through the roster and you look at what you have there, yes, you're losing a lot of talent. But I think, to be completely honest, if, you, if this isn't, if this isn't a, at least a six or, in my mind, I say seven wins, just because okay. there's, a, there's enough talent outside of the quarterback position to where this team should be able to win six or seven, at least make a bowl. It can't fall back. It cannot have a year like 2018 FAU where they qualify for a I'm a little surprised that you're saying six would be considered a success, but they are losing so many pieces that I guess it makes sense. Shane, from afar, me personally with FIU, I kind of feel like they probably need to win seven for the year to be considered a success. Are you more with me or are you more with Eric? Uh, I think there's... I think there's a couple elements here. I think realistically on the field, that's probably a good expectation. I think FIU has to be better, especially if FAU's winning and dominating. I mean, okay. it, it's kind of, it, right? Like, I know, I'm just saying if I was in this situation, I'd be crossing my arm going, why aren't we doing what FAU's doing? Especially if Tagger comes and wins 10 games next year. Then if you're an FIU fan, it's, well, they've done it now with two coaches. Why can't we do that? Why haven't we been able to put that team together? I, that's, I don't know, that's what I think. I know maybe that's unrealistic just based on what's coming back. And But, man, I, I just have a little higher expectations and tend in my mind as a fan to put more pressure on the coaching staff and stuff. Well, really I, think quick. That, I think there has to be more pressure just because FIU, I mean, we're going back to everything I said in August. They had the... Two good years under Butch Davis where they made the back-to-back bowl games, but it felt like something was missing because they weren't winning as many of those winnable games as they should have in conference. And then you had this year where you have the super high of beating Miami, then you have some of the super lows getting routed by FAU in the Shula Bowl, getting killed by Middle Tennessee in the monsoon. A couple of those early losses in winnable games. So... I don't know. I don't want to get into job security and that stuff. I think that's a conversation for another time. But I think for peace of mind, for FIU to continue growing and get back on the right track, I think they need a 7-5 and five year. That, to me, would be considered a success because especially with some of the harder games that they have. But if they go 6-6 six and six and make a bowl, but 
they get a good co- they get a couple of good conference wins. Maybe they finally beat FAU since that game is in West Dade next year. I think uh, I think you could accept that. Jake, let me let me quickly qualify that answer with two things. One, they can't, and this is a point that Shane's made for two years. I've got to give it to him. I got to give Shane this. If you, how many good wins does FIU have? Quote unquote good wins in the past two years. They beat Miami. They beat Toledo in the bowl game. But you look outside of that. This year, you 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 beat UMass, ODU. I mean, that's not the cream of the crop. You can say the same right. thing about about 2018. So the reason I'll qualify it with this: if FIU can win at least two or three solid Conference USA games and go six and six, that's one thing. And also the second reason why I say six is, for better or worse, they have yet to stop the run in two years. They've shown flashes, but they haven't been able to do it. So you know, if you can't, if you're giving up, if you're consistently 13th or 14th in Conference USA and giving up the run. I'm not going to fall for the okie doke again about, oh, we're going to play with improved fundamentals and technique and do the things that a Bush Davis coach defense can do. Well, you're giving up 400 yards uh, uh, in, in certain outings. I just can't fall for that again. Eric, is this is the 2019 FIU season as a whole more disappointing than FAU's 2018 season? Uh, uh, wow, that's a tough one. Um, I would say I have and to take, say take, take, take away the take away the natural, not bias, but just being close to the program, being there every day. Take that out of it. And I'm and I'm trying to. I just think no, that I, I know. I, I just think that I'm I'm tempted to say yes. I'm leaning towards yes, just because there was so much talent coming back on. This team, and it's not to say there wasn't with FAU, but I just think that when you look at, you know what, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes, and the reason why is because it's the way that FIU lost those games. You know, when you get smoked at middle and you get smoked at Tulane, and I'm sorry to sound like a broken record, but it's one thing if you lose tough games. If you can go back and look at FAU 2018, you know, I said it to Lane Kiffin at media days when they had the, uh, the illegal man on the field or the uh, double number against Western Kentucky and fluky things like that, you know, that are his mental mistakes. But there were games that, quite frankly, the, the Western Kentucky loss was close and the Louisiana Tech loss was tight. Outside of that, the rest of their losses weren't really close. And, of course, the bowl game. But outside of that, the rest of their losses weren't close. And I think that's disappointing. When you asked Lane that at me, was that before or after he told you about uh, my wardrobe? That was before. That was before. He told me. He told, he told me about your wardrobe at the end. Ah, oh, I missed Lane. Yeah, but you know, kind of a new era. We'll see. You know, like I said, I think the biggest thing is is as much as we do talk about leaders and stuff with FAU, it is hard to kind of keep this going. And every year at graduating classes, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that more. I really want to see how uh, FIU. I didn't get a chance. I missed the last couple episodes just uh, logistics and timing if i you i will shout out did a really good job and there's probably a couple more names coming uh with uh recruiting uh i'm just saying my personal favorite player i want to shout out to FIU, the xavier mcgriff kid you guys are getting from jacksonville the receiver uh 
baller. Probably the maybe one of the top couple receivers in uh, 904. Heard nothing but great things from him. Saw him in a seven-on-seven camp a couple times. Kid's a stud. Uh, you know, and we'll see kind of what Willie Taggart, if he just kind of kept its class together, um, really did nothing really surprising, had to make a couple tough decisions due to roster. But, you know, I, I'm big on recruiting. Uh, you see what recruiting does yesterday. FAU is bigger, faster, stronger than SMU. You know, system and air raid and all that stuff, it can only take you so far. Eventually, you just got to go beat your guy. You got to cover your guy. James Pierre just beat Prochet most of the day. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see from there. We'll, we'll definitely do something for recruiting after the signing day, you know, kind of maybe a, a special wrap-up and bring on a guest for that um, to kind of talk about that type of stuff. All right, uh, fans, again, you know what, though? I, I think that David's not here. Uh, thank you so much for listening this season. We'll have more, like I said, throughout the offseason. We're just not going to disappear for – uh, nine months will help you guys get through the off season and me. I don't know how many days till FAU plays Minnesota. Um, but thank you so much for listening. We did this podcast. We did, you know, we do it for obviously nothing just because uh, these teams deserve more coverage in any capacity. They can get it and be talked about, you know, we know fans enjoy it and, you know, slowly but surely you start to see, these programs kind of gain some traction with more of the local media, you know, seeing some of the bigger names tweeting about these programs. And, you know, we hope we can only help bring that and give a place for FAU fans and FIU fans to kind of either on Twitter, vent frustrations, go at it and, you know, do all the normal things that come across with Paul. So thank you so much for listening to us this first years and uh, we'll see you guys soon.